Welcome back to Leads to Scale, a podcast from Social Media Week. I am your host, Toby Daniels. On this week's episode, we have Jeff McQueen, CEO and co-founder of Excello, a cloud-based software management tool with the goal of making your business more profitable and you less stressed. Jeff has spoken at the last two Social Media Week events in New York and Los Angeles on how automation can streamline operations and help you get back to doing the work you love. During our conversation, Jeff talked about finding the right customers, what platforms they are leveraging in regards to their B2B marketing efforts. We also touched on some near-term disruptions, which he thinks are important in regards to where the industry is heading. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Just a quick note before we get into the interview. When we sat down to record this, we were actually on location at Social Media Week in Los Angeles. And unfortunately, the room wasn't too friendly to our recording device. So you may actually hear a slight popping sound from time to time. Apologies for that. Hopefully you'll enjoy the content. With that, let's get on with the show. Okay, on the podcast today, we have Jeff McQueen, who's the founder and CEO of Excello. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. So, first of all, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and the story behind Excello. So, Excello started from a pain point that myself and my co-founders experienced firsthand. We used to run a digital agency, Mm -hmm. and we did a lot of great work with clients from small businesses up to the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet back in Australia. And what I experienced in growing and running that agency was this frustration that as we worked harder and did better work. It felt like the business was getting more and more, um, you know, kind of wild and woolly and hard to get hold of. And things like our profitability and our financial performance weren't improving as we got better at doing more work. Mm -hmm. And so it was this disconnect between the quality of the work we were doing and the quality of the business and the inside view, which really frustrated me. And looking around at, at the ways that technology may be able to help uh, I was really frustrated and you know it, it dawned on me that um, the big boys like SAP and Oracle have sort of solved a lot of these operations challenges for really big companies, mm-hmm. but for small businesses in particular, and I mean small up to like you know five, six, eight hundred staff still considered small business in many parts of the world. Yep. Um, it was just uh, you know do it yourself with spreadsheets or some really really crappy legacy technology built on FileMaker Pro, mm-hmm. and so being you know sort of at that juncture in uh, in around about you know two thousand nine two thousand and ten, um, Salesforce had clearly proven out the SaaS model. Automation was definitely something that needed to be done in the clouds. So you could connect it to other systems. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided that there was an opportunity, so we. Uh, you know, I sold the agency, um, joined up with my three co-founders, and the four of us kicked off and started what's now called Excello. Fantastic. So, um, d- d- first of all, just describe kind of like you know the typical customer that's using the the, the product and platform today. Typical customer is a you know fifteen to twenty person business. Although we've got customers up into the many hundreds of staff and a whole lot of smaller folks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that typical customer is you know twenty odd people. Let's say running a service business. We only work with service businesses and teams. So if you Why want, is that? Uh, largely because those are the folks that have very particular needs. So the reality for running a service business is that you've got a few challenges that are not faced by people who are doing you know, manufacturing or logistics or wholesale and retail. If you're running a service businesses, business, you're depending on staff as your factory. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not just moving stuff that was like created somewhere else, they're actually creating it 
at the time. And the difficulty with that is people are, are creative but not consistent. They're resourceful but not reliable. Mm -hmm. And so managing people as the factory is really, really hard. You've also got the world's most perishable inventory, which is people's time. You know, every hour that goes by is not coming back again. You can't stockpile it. Um, so it's really, really hard to manage business for that reason. And then lastly, service businesses have this unique challenge that what they're delivering for their clients is something they're often co-creating with their clients, mm -hmm. not just getting a purchase order and then returning whatever it is they've bought. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not part of a co-creation process with UPS when I get a package shipped beyond giving them my address and then waiting for it to show up. Mm -hmm. So service businesses have three distinct characteristics that make them very hard to run and they make it very hard for generic technology to help them to run better. So we thought that if we could focus on the specific needs of that really fast growing and underserved market, then we would be able to do something that had never been done before. And we'd also be able to do it for people who frankly, did, they need it and deserve it. Mm -hmm. um, it's the largest employer group in the Western world. It's growing faster than any other sector. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Nine out of 10 jobs in that sector are in small businesses and those small businesses are being left basically their own devices with spreadsheets mm -hmm. because big tech has ignored their needs and we didn't think that was okay. So let's get like really like concrete and specific about kind of like the product offering and like how your customers are actually using the, the, the various different tools that you provide. And, and talk about like a, a specific customer if you can and, and yeah. how they're using the product and, and some of the kind of success stories that they've you know, experienced since working with you. Yeah, so where the product fits, if you can imagine a continuum where, <coughs> pardon me, if you imagine a continuum where you have you know, marketing at the front end, creating, you know, leads, opportunities, etc. Um, then you have sales, which is about engaging with those leads and, and, you know, selling them on what you do. Then there's delivery, the actual operational piece of doing what the business does. Mm -hmm. And then there's the accounting piece at the back end that makes sure that you're keeping track of everything. Yeah. Um, that pipeline is a standard pipeline for any service business. And the great news is for a lot of small businesses in that category, they can go and buy something like a HubSpot for the, for the marketing. They can go and buy something like a, a Salesforce for a sales and accounting. They're often going and buying something like Zero or QuickBooks. Mm -hmm. um, but the bit in the middle around the delivery was the big missing. That was the bit where it was like, we won the sale, high five, you mm -hmm. know. And then, you know, once, once the, the kind of recognition that we've got to deliver now. Um, that's where really the wheels fall off and profits are made or lost. So what we do is we go from quote to cash, we get involved up in the sales process, um, helping an agency, for example, to bid for work and pitch for work, to run that process and pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, once the you know proposal, the estimate is approved, that then converts immediately into a project that directly matches what was promised in the sales process because it's the same actual system that's leading from sales into projects. Mm -hmm. um, then when you run that client project, you're able to track it in a way that's really re reactive and reflective to the changing circumstances that happen when you're co-creating with a client. You know, no good plan, nothing goes according to plan. So being able to adapt in an agile way to that is really special and something quite unique about what we do. And then by tracking all of the time, all of the expenses, any of the materials that have gone into that project, you were then able to see real-time profitability. We also help folks not just with the projects, which is kind of like the planned proactive stuff, but also the reactive stuff um, through our ticketing and issues module. Um, so it's important for a lot of agencies that are often doing that work for free today because it's not worth standing up a project for. Um, this actually allows them to, to at least track that um, and often get paid. And then... The last piece is a retainer's piece because a lot of agencies want to and need to engage with clients on a retainer. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Uh, but if they're tracking and running it through a spreadsheet, then it often creates more pain than it's worth um, because you know the risk of over-servicing and under-servicing and what, what does that mean on a financial basis and just it's a mess. Mm. So we've got a really beautiful, specifically designed for service businesses retainer piece. Mm -hmm. And that all comes together in a way that you can see in real time how busy are the people in the organization? Mm. Where have you got bottlenecks before you hit them? Mm. What's the profitability look like today, mm -hmm. like in real time, mm -hmm. without having to you know, do a lot of data crunching? So that really is the essence of the product. Um, it is that quote to cash, we, we push invoices and purchases out into your accounting system. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes it easier to run the business because we also synchronize with your calendar and your contacts and your, you know, your email mm -hmm. to make sure that there's as much automation of data collection as possible mm -hmm. so that people can get back to doing what they love. And obviously it's a SaaS business. You talk a little bit about the kind of the business model yeah. and, and the various different you know, ways that, that um, your customers can kind of like access the platform. Presumably there are different kind of levels. There are, there are. So within the platform, as you can imagine, a business tool designed to run your business with a lot of financial information, there's very specific and granular um, access controls to determine who can see what. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's all kind of built in at the core. Uh, in terms of access, predominantly it's a browser-based experience. Uh, most of the people who are using the product are using it as part of their daily workflow and most people in the industry are spending their time in a, in a computer interface experience like at their laptop or their workstation. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have full uh, native mobile apps for iOS and Android. So when you are going out on site, when you are meeting a client, when you're standing there waiting, waiting for your bus or your train, you can flip open the mobile app and actually update and, and tap in your timesheet while you've got a few minutes of downtime. Mm -hmm. Or before you walk into that meeting with a client, you can pull up the activity stream, which is a bit like a Facebook news feed mm -hmm. of all of the history with that account mm -hmm. and go in there, you know, not on the back foot. Mm -hmm. And um, t talk to me about... Um not just like the types of customers, I get it, mostly you sort of focus on kind of services, businesses, and obviously yeah. agencies fall into that. Yeah. But, but you know, presumably because you're, you're offering this like end-to-end -end solution, the, the sort of the, the typical customer, the person that's using the product and, and even, you know, could very well be the person deciding whether to actually like work with you guys or not, yeah. could be at the sort of sales and marketing end or, or also could be at the kind of the accounting and finance end. Yeah. So, so what, who, who are you typically sort of talking to, particularly when you're sort of like initiating that like initial conversation? The initial conversation is with the business, either owner for small businesses or the executive, whether it be a VP or director level and above. Mm -hmm. um, so two thirds of the inbound um, inquiries we get on the product when people establish a trial with us, two-thirds of those people fit that director level and above category. Mm -hmm. There are some individual contributors and people who are using you know, some timesheet from the Stone Age or project management software that's clearly a kabuki dance of, of fail because everyone knows that it's not true what's mm -hmm. going on. And so sometimes individual contributors get frustrated with the fact that they're in the dark ages mm -hmm. and, and they come to, to see a solution um, and find us. But most of the time it's the business owner because they're the one who's feeling the pain. Right. Um, you know, your average business owner or executive is working like 60 hours a week Working they, when they take vacations, it's rare, but even when they take them, they're checking in all the time. Um, like these people are working their butts off to try and hold it together, mm -hmm. and the fact they don't have a system to run the business and it's very manual mm -hmm. um, that that they're the ones who feel the pain the most. So, let's spend some time, you know, talking about customer acquisition because I think, yeah. um, you know, a, a big focus of, of this particular sort of podcast and the conversations that we've been having has been on how you acquire customers, how you retain customers, what do the economics of that look like, what are some of the kind of 
you know, marketing channels that you're sort of utilizing and, and what's working and perhaps not yeah. what's not working. So let, let's start on the acquisition side to begin with. Um, I mean, presumably you're working as many different kind of avenues or channels as possible, but, but you know, what are some of the kind of things strategically and even tactically yeah. that you're doing today to, to acquire new customers? So the strategic piece is really around, it, it's baked in its most foundation level, the recognition that what we're doing at Excello is creating a new category called service operations automation. Mm -hmm. And it's a new category because it's not project management, it's not time tracking, it's not billing, like they're kind of constituent parts, but the fact that they're fragmented and a mess and require a lot of manual intervention is part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And so by focusing on what service businesses need and automating their operations, actually the delivery of what they do, mm -hmm. it's really a focus area, it's a new, a new category. And so from a communications perspective and how we market, that's really the foundational piece. Mm -hmm. We're creating and defining and, and evangelizing a category first and foremost. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really the beginning point. And then from there, how do we do that? A lot of it comes down to content marketing. Mm -hmm. The reality is the problem we solve and how we solve it is transformational for businesses. We double their profitability. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a bit like the analogy I often use is if people are stuck where we're doing this recording together in LA today, mm -hmm. um, you know, renowned for its its crazy, terrible traffic, right? Mm -hmm. So there will be literally millions of Angelinos um, who have had an experience this morning of sitting in traffic and being frustrated and furious about it. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to kind of go to the office and complain about it because everyone who's next to them is like, I put up with it too, shut up. Mm -hmm. Like, just, just live with it, that's life. Right. Um, the solution doesn't appear to exist and so it just ends up being a tolerated misery. Mm. That is like the way that people who need our product live their lives today. Yeah. And they just put up with it. And so the biggest challenge is actually to have them recognize there is an alternative to sitting in traffic. Mm. It's a new category, it's a new thing. You, it's technology hasn't been able to do this for very long. Mm -hmm. um, as a result, it's not unreasonable that you don't know about it. But how do you try and communicate this to people when they're not explicitly looking for it? Why, why do you think that is? And why do you think small business owners are so willing to kind of, as you say, sit in traffic and not complain about it? Well, they're partly because they've been doing it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they don't, they, they're like, they can't identify an alternative. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no flying car scenario for them to jump into. Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to solve the unsolvable, eventually you just stop looking. And eventually you just get on with it, um, knuckle down, be as organized as you can be and just accept that you're going to be working really, really long and really, really hard. And it's not until something goes wrong in the business, because these guys generally only have about two months worth of cash flow um, to you know, to sort of run with. So they're often running blind and it's when they, they are at serious risk or peril that they stop and go, this is crazy, I need to look at an alternative or I need to try and come up with a way to do this. Yeah. Um, but I think they're just, you know, they're resourceful, perseverant people who, who just, they love what they do and, and the, the value they create for their clients, mm -hmm. so they just do it. Um, what's cool is then, you know, from a marketing point of view, evangelizing the, the solution to the problem they've been sitting in with this metaphorical traffic. Yeah. Um, that often is, is, you know, what we've found to be most successful is around content marketing. It's mm -hmm. telling that story. It's telling our client stories. Mm -hmm. Um, it's having our clients tell the story to their peers. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really word of mouth is an absolutely critical component. Um, and then where 
you know, the advertising dimension comes in is really about evangelizing their stories and the category, mm -hmm. whether it be email-based communications with folks who've come and looked at what we do in the past in some way, mm -hmm. um, at the time it wasn't right for them or our product wasn't right at the time, mm -hmm. um, through to, you know, social media and other forms of like where are people spending their time. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting, even though we're a B2B product, we see a lot of engagement in classic B2C environments because, yeah. you know, a business owner is also using Facebook, and they're also scrolling through, you know, pictures of their their kids or their you know friends' kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like that that doesn't stop them from being a business owner. It has these challenges, mm -hmm. and so being able to call them out in those environments and and show them that there is a, a, a new way is mm -hmm. still quite effective. But let's let's break that down a little bit. Um, and it is really interesting. I think you're right. You I mean the important thing is regardless of whether you're B two C or B two B, it's about reaching people where they are, where yeah. they're spending most of their time. Yeah. But let's let's get into that in a little bit more specifically. So um, talk about kind of like the sort of tactical level. Um, and from a content marketing standpoint, like where are you sort of distributing content on which plat platforms? How are you engaging on those platforms? Is it mostly like organic? Are you, you know, are you investing in kind of paid social? Um, and, and also, you know, talk a little bit about kind of like where LinkedIn fits into this, because mm. I'm, I'm always really interested to sort of hear from folks in terms of how LinkedIn as a sort of a, a performance marketing platform yeah. um, does against the kind of Facebooks and the other uh, various different platforms that we can use. Yeah, so um, you know our content is primarily uh, on our blog. Mm -hmm. um, we also publish on other people's, you know, where we've got co-marketing or, mm -hmm. you know, our story of what we sold for is very complementary. We integrate with, you know, a couple of dozen or more different platforms that people are already using in their lives. So um, there's distribution and, and opportunities there, um, <clears throat> as well as things like you know webinars and you know, having conversations like this in podcasts will mm -hmm. help. Um, and then in terms of you know paid social, uh, we see great returns from that, mm. um, although it's very high in the funnel. Yeah. So it's attribution is always a nightmare. And so there, we actually accidentally did some A-B testing um, at one point about a year and a half ago, I think, mm -hmm. um, where we, we basically weren't doing any boosted post behaviors in social mm. for, I think it was about a week long period. There was something to do with whether it was a credit card, I can't remember the specifics, but whatever it was, that effect went away and we had a noticeable impact in terms of our top of the funnel and then follow through engagement. Mm -hmm. um, so even though attribution's hard, accidentally doing an A-B test like that was really good um, to, to prove out the, the directionality of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been really quite effective for us. LinkedIn, I really wish it would work. Um, it would be perfect for the B2B nature of what we do. Mm. Um, it just continues to, to disappoint, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I, I did have why hope do you think that is? I mean, it's, it's so interesting. It's like if you, if you just like lay it out, right? And I've had so many conversations yeah. with LinkedIn about this. It's just like, okay. This is obviously a professional audience. Uh, this is, uh, you, you know, it's a, obviously very utility kind of like based um, set of, of tools. Mm. But, you know, it, it just feels like this is where I should be, uh, uh, you know, being able to acquire new customers. Yeah. And yet uh, we've had a similar sort of experience. It's just, it just doesn't deliver. My hunch is that as a place to, to spend time on LinkedIn.com, mm. you basically, if you're selling to recruiters, or if you're selling to salespeople, mm. then they're the eyeballs that are gonna be there. Right. But the rest of us treat it as a place to connect and then get out of as quickly as possible. Yeah. Not the least of which is because there's so many like, I can't tell you how many people hit me up as, you know, yeah. just just garbage, right? Yeah. And so so that's the that's kind of the reality I think. And while they've I've seen a surprising amount of engagement 
Um, you know, all of us once a year have a birthday. Right. And the, you know, the behavior that we all see now is a whole lot of, of social media mentions because of the yeah. encouragement that those platforms have to tell other people to, to yeah. wish us happy birthday. And yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I've been surprised to see over the years LinkedIn go from an irrelevancy to maybe, you know, second only to Facebook for that kind of social interaction. Mm -hmm. um, so it is kind of happening, mm. uh, but I don't think it's probably going to get there mm. um, because all of us who are running businesses or working in businesses are also people with loved ones and friends and family. So we're going to probably continue to focus on Facebook for that time mm -hmm. and not necessarily the busy people that we talk to don't right. have the time to, to sit there and scroll through LinkedIn feeds. Right. What is, I think, a massive opportunity for LinkedIn and it continues to elude them. They acquired the, the guys at, um, I think it was called Bizzo, mm. for God, like hundreds of millions of dollars mm. and then ended up killing that product and that functionality off. It was actually using the telemetry and the insights about you know, the fact that I'm logged into LinkedIn and I'm, you know, got this job title in this geography and, and a higher degree of social targeting, mm. um, that getting that kind of targeting off LinkedIn, because people are not spending time in LinkedIn.com unless mm. they're recruiters, mm. um, and getting that in places where people are looking for mm. retargeting is really desirable, but we just haven't quite seen it connect. And, and presumably you're talking about kind of like something similar to what Facebook has done in terms of being able to actually deliver Facebook advertising on publisher sites. Yeah, just using those inputs from a programmatic perspective yeah. and having it really work. Yeah, because of course the, you know, the data is like pretty much always up to date. You won't find yeah. a cleaner, more up to date kind of record of a particular sort of business professional. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, I would, I would even be happy for it to be a case in programmatic advertising to be like, okay, this is the general demographics we're, we're working with. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to know if this person is in one of these like eight titles yep. on LinkedIn. Um, I don't need to know anything more about them. I'm really wanting to use it as a negative keyword kind right. of match, even though it's not a keyword to be like, okay, if they're not in one of these eight titles, don't bid. Right. Um, and it's gotten close to it in different times in the past and the promise is there and clear and there are probably some people listening to this podcast who are, who are like shaking their phone right now going, you right. idiots, have another look, it's there, you know, right. you're complaining about a non-issue, they fixed it. Right. Um, but it's uh, an area that we haven't seen right. really win up until now. Right, I mean, I think maybe we should get, like, we, we, we've worked with LinkedIn, they're, they're one of our uh, partners in, in New York, we should we should get those guys on the podcast and kind of like grill them about this, because uh, I think, you know, you're, you're probably right, there are some kind of answers to some of these questions or challenges that we've experienced, and it'd be great to know. So so we're talking a lot about kind of like the top of funnel, right? Yeah. So, so that kind of, a, you know, initial sort of awareness, the evangelizing piece, the kind of like mm -hmm. helping to kind of like, uh, connect to potential new customers by telling stories that like really yeah. resonate with them. Yeah. So, so how does how how do you then bring those customers through the funnel to the point at which they actually become a customer? Yeah. So there's, I guess, uh, it's almost like you know, sort of peeling away the layers of the onion there as as things go further down the funnel. And a lot of the tactics don't change. The same fundamental tools, while they're still like you know, mid funnel apply for us. Mm -hmm. um, we just change the messaging and change the cadences and, you know, make sure that we're aligning that messaging to what we know that that person's really caring about mm -hmm. as opposed to being a pain. Um, and then once they, they set up a trial, get in touch with us or engage with us, um, then what we've actually had a lot of success with is actually treating um, marketing automation as a key part of our sales process as well. Mm -hmm. So we have, um, we, our product, for example, integrates with HubSpot. And mm -hmm. so what we've been able to, to do as users of these, of our own tools, 
is have it so that once a lead actually comes in and gets qualified and assigned to an AE, a sales rep, um, then we actually have the marketing automation kick in and act on behalf of that sales rep through a, an engagement cycle. Um, and that's been really interesting because you know there's a lot of sales reps that are using tools like Yeswares and stuff to automate their own cadences. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem is that that's still very individually orientated. Mm -hmm. And so by actually treating it as an extension of a marketing funnel um, through to that point of like getting on a demo and being engaged and really starting to get deeper into a conversation, mm -hmm. uh, we've been able to save a lot of time and effort on behalf of our sales reps and see much greater results than you get by letting a sales rep who might have only been in the job for a little while mm. peck out their own email and hope they get it right, right. Um, and get in touch with a, a leader on opportunity. Mm. So, and then the, of course the risk with using any of that automation is what happens when somebody replies and engages with you? Mm. Right? How do you make sure that the automation doesn't then blow up and cause you to lose a lot of you know face and, mm. and, and trust? Mm. Uh, and so what we're able to do because of what Accelo can do, um, for all of our clients we automatically, when they set it up, um, configure it so that Accelo can import any emails that are to or from a client contact. So any personal stuff gets left out of it, even if it's your work email address, like mm -hmm. if it's a, a message to your spouse about what time you're home for dinner tonight, mm -hmm. that, that's never captured. But only people who are client contacts get captured. And so what happens is that information comes into Accelo and we're able to then inform the marketing automation in real time. We go, hey, this person just replied. Mm -hmm you know, drop it. Yeah. Like, no more engagement. Yeah. Um, and so we, we touch wood, um, have never had a situation. So, so you, you, you're, you're not anti-automation, you're just like much more pro using it at the right point Absolutely. In, the, in moving a customer through the, through the funnel. Absolutely. Like, it, it, all of it has to be focused on the customer and what their needs and interests are. Mm -hmm. So if they're a person who's just kind of realized, to use that metaphor of being stuck in traffic, mm -hmm. that this sucks and there's a better way, but they're skeptical and they're leaning back on their chair, mm -hmm. their body language should be like, mm, you know, scratching their chin, you know, touching their chin and sort of squinting and going, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's much more about, you know, the, the softer help um, the softer encouragement stuff. Whereas when it's down deeper and they're like, they've signed up for a trial, they've got it you know, loaded up, then it's actually more about, hey, let's help you mm -hmm. successfully evaluate whether this is really gonna help you now mm -hmm. in as short a time as possible for you, the client. Right. Um, that's what we're doing, that's why we're reaching out. This episode of Leads to Scale is brought to you by Social Media Week London. Taking place November 14th to the 16th at the Queen Elizabeth Conference Center in Westminster, SMW London will feature over 60 talks, workshops, and roundtable discussions, including a headline presentation from Facebook's Ian Edwards, who will speak on the topic of community, opportunity, and responsibility. In addition to Facebook, SMW London has also confirmed leading thinkers from Reddit, BBC Radio, Social Chain, Fleischmann Hillard, BBH, 4C, Hearst, National Geographic, and many more. Listeners to this podcast can attend Social Media Week London uh, by registering at socialmediaweek.org forward slash London forward slash attend. Use offer code leads number two scale at the checkout for an extra 15% off the current ticket price. That's leads number two scale to save 15% of your pass. Thanks, and now let's get back to the show. 
And it's interesting because I think the whole like permission-based marketing space is just like evolving so much because of I think a, a, a proliferation of like automation and tools that have like made it much easier throughout the entire kind of like process to yeah. be able to operate at scale yeah. and in sort of like more automated ways. But the challenge is that like marketing and salespeople are just like inherently lazy and always looking for that kind of like shortcut. And, mm. and the problem there is if it is possible to automate, they probably will. Yeah. Um, and as you said and point out, um, oftentimes that that's gonna kind of like, um, uh, that's gonna come back and like bite me in the ass at some point totally. because um, you know it's 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 sometimes just so obvious when yeah. something is being automated. So for you, what's that like? What's that trigger point? I mean, do, do you shut down automation as soon as the prospect has essentially given some kind of like indication that they're interested? So it's a response to an email. It's a I'm signing up for a webinar, like whatever it is. What what are the sort of key triggers? Yeah, so they're great examples of triggers, um, and the triggers can also go the other way, where the automation potentially becomes um, more involved and thoughtful and higher tempo because they have shown that interest and that engagement, and this has been something they cared about. Mm -hmm. um, the key is for for us and kind of the gold rule is, you know, put yourself in the shoes of that person. Who's, who's living that life. And that's why, you know, having an organization where our team are so mission focused and our first value of our eight values is exceptional empathy. Mm. Like we have to put ourselves in the shoes of those people at all times. Mm -hmm. And so it's about making sure that we are thinking about what it's like to receive that message, what it's like to click on that ad and then engage in that way and, and being as, as you know, thoughtful about that as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and then making sure that we don't do something uh, from an automation point of view, if we haven't already kind of manually proved out that it is helpful and useful, and we also make sure that we've got the guardrails up so that if you know somebody does do a natural thing like reply and say leave me alone, um, then we were able to, to respond to that. So last question I have in, in, in this sort of part of the conversation is like to do with retention. So once you've onboarded a new customer, um, what are you doing to sort of minimize churn to, to ensure that they have a good onboarding experience and then ultimately to yeah. ensure that they continue to be a customer over time? Yeah, so our product's interesting in the sense that it's a fairly big product. It really runs the operations or the heart of the organization. Right. Um, over 80% of our monthly active users are also daily active users. Mm -hmm. um, we have, I think it's about 60% of those monthly active users use the product more than 100 times a month. So it's a very kind of intensive, important um, core part of how they run their business. Mm -hmm. So that means that our onboarding process is also really high touch and involves you know, implementation services where we really act as consultants. Mm -hmm. The people we're working with are busy. They wouldn't be buying our product if they weren't you know, trying to hold it all together and really struggling. This isn't the you know sell to somebody who's already on the beach in the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. um, so as a result, we engage and tend to be consultative. And we're like, we're not gonna tell you how to use our product yet. Mm -hmm. We're actually gonna get you to tell us how you work. Right. What do you, how do you do what you do? We take that on board on a consultative basis. We then actually configure the product for them in the implementation cycle using our enhanced implementation. We have different levels. And then um, once we've got that right through a, an interactive process with the senior people in the business, um, we then actually do a, a team rollout and we actually do the training, which involves recording videos and sharing those videos on a persistent basis privately just for that organization. So they can go back, if somebody new gets on board in six months, they can watch the training videos right. and know what they're doing. Specifically set for the language 
the, the types of projects that they do, the types of tickets that they do, um, it's specific for their business. So uh, let's spend a few minutes just quickly talking about kind of the future. Um, and, and I always prefer to talk about like the near term rather yeah. than sort of speculating as to what's going to happen in the next like three to five years because yeah. who, who the hell who knows. knows? <laughs> um, but let's talk about it though in the context of the category that you're creating, right? Yeah. So you talk about um, you know not just the creation of, but also the the evangelizing of a, a category that, yeah. that you are trying to uh, to create because obviously you recognize and see a, a, a real need and a real yeah. opportunity, and in particular in terms of like serving the needs of a very underserved yes. sort of segment of the market. Um, but but in creating you know a new category, you will also presumably anticipate more competition yeah. um, as more people flood into that market. And then also, you know, outside of that, there are plenty of other tools out there, as you, as you referenced, that, yeah. that, you know, do individually pieces do pieces of it. Yeah. So, so, you know, when you think about, you know, opportunities, you think about the challenges that you face, mm. um, you know, going into the future, um, um, what are you most concerned about? And, and also, do you see any sort of near-term future disruptions that could be really significant for, for your business? Yeah, I think for our business, in terms of near-term disruptions, um, probably don't see much or certainly don't get kept awake at night by, by scenarios around those. I mean, things could happen, of course, like you know, people are, are actively using, say, Google G Suite and Office 365 and other tools, and then, you know, we add a lot of value by integrating with those. So if they just decided they were gonna shut down integrations for some you know, arbitrary reason, mm -hmm. um, that would be difficult, not just for us, but a whole lot of, of tools that help people to run their businesses better. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in reality, it's, uh, you know, the competitive piece around this category is, is certainly gonna get stronger. Um, I look at that generally as a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, if we didn't have an existential threat, um, even if right now it's a hypothetical existential, um, we'd, we'd slow down, we'd get fat and lazy. Mm. And if I look at the you know, sort of incumbents that have done the first generation of trying to do this stuff with, with crappy old stuff on, you know, whether it was FileMaker Pro or install.net stuff, mm -hmm. um, all of that old stuff, those guys and girls kind of ended up in these situations where they were, you know, cottage industries with a couple of players and you use their products today and it, it shows you why. Um, you know, it shows you that they haven't really had to innovate, that they haven't had to, to really do anything. Um, not because they were great at what they did, just because that was good enough. Mm -hmm. So we really benchmark ourselves off, off a much higher bar and um, like, to be, like to be sort of challenged in that execution. And really the challenge that I see for, for us and the category in general is to deliver on the promise. Mm -hmm. like, there are ways that technology can make running your business twice as profitable, a hell of a lot more enjoyable, give you a lot more confidence of you know, where things are at, have things be streamlined so there's less friction, so you've got higher utilization because people are able to do the work that they love instead of updating crappy systems. Um, that's a promise that we're working our butts off to fulfill. There's still a lot that we want to do in the product to be able to deliver that, that level of nirvana. Um, and so really that's the challenge that, that I see for all of us in, in the category, us, some nascent competitors, like we have to do something that technology has never been able to do before. Because if it could already do this, then we wouldn't be sitting here in 2018 talking about getting it done. Right. It would already be, oh yeah, you know, people talk about 
you know, Salesforce or HubSpot or, or, or QuickBooks, like those are products that have, have done it and define that category and are, are the category leaders appropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a new category. We're working our butts off to maintain and, and drive forward a leadership position in it, mm-hmm. but we're still so small by comparison. So this hasn't been solved yet. And right. that really is the big challenge that, that I um, and the team really, that's what keeps us awake at night. How can we, how can we solve this as quickly as possible as, as with as much automation and you know a little fuss as possible for users so they can get back to doing the work that they love to do mm-hmm. no architect or no you know designer got into their line of work mm-hmm. so they could update timesheets and, and you right. know change project plans and, and do reporting like, right. that's just the, the craft you need to have to keep the wheels on right right so you know, that's the challenge we have very good um, well Jeff thanks so much for joining us uh, today where can people go to find out more information about Excello yeah head to Excello.com that's spelled A-C-C-E-L-O.com um, you can do a free trial there um, and you know you can even exper- experience some of the stuff we talked about in terms of the automation and the engagement um, for yourself and yeah it's a, a pretty easy month to month type product that's just it's priced based on the modules you need and the number of users you have so, uh, so it works out really nicely for folks. It's something that maybe would have cost fifty, hundred thousand dollars to do properly, um, even five years ago, mm-hmm. and, and now you can get up and running for a few hundred bucks a month um, if you've got a, you know, a bit of a decent team. Great, awesome. Thanks for sharing. Great, Appreciate being here. Cheers, Jeff. welcome. Thank you. This has been Leads to Scale, brought to you by Social Media Week. For more information on how to get involved with future events, visit socialmediaweek.org. If you have a moment, please rate, review, and subscribe to Leads to Scale wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening.